Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Thomas, and we're about to dive into some hands that were played in the 500 No Limit Ignition Pool. Coach Thomas, tell the audience about these hands. Okay, well, for both of these hands, we're, we're playing against... A couple whales that are terrorizing us regulars, just demolishing us. For for my hand specifically, uh, the whale sitting on over a two thousand dollar stack at five hundred NL, and the rest of us are sitting on about five hundred bucks. So uh, you can see how that's going. Uh, for both of the hands, we uh, take some creative lines that I think are are really interesting and probably super beneficial to the listener. Yes, this particular villain has bought a giant vacuum and is sucking up all of the chips from all of the players he's playing against. Thomas, let's dive into hand number one. Okay, hand number one. We have King 8 suited, King 8 of diamonds in the big blind. We have a regular open under the gun to $15. We have the villain in the hand uh, who is playing 60% of hands. Go ahead and call on the button. Another regular calls in the small blind, and we ought to call in the big blind. All right, so let's talk about this preflop action here. We have a UTG open to 3x, button flats, small blind flats. Tell me about this UTG open, anything interesting about the sizing anything unexpected about getting a flat from the small blind here the sizing isn't really abnormal uh sometimes on ignition it's kind of a pain to size your uh bets as like 2.5x or something so a lot of regulars will still use this this 3x open so i i'm not really thinking too much about that yet i i would absolutely expect the the button to call almost always with how many hands he's playing so again no surprise there. And small blind, again, makes sense. You want to get involved with with the player on the button. It's just any pocket pair, any suited ace, any suited king, you're probably going to want to find a way to get into the pot. And if you're a reg in the small blind, what hands would you start squeezing with for value? It's tricky because under the gun is involved. If the regular had opened in the cutoff, I would be going absolutely bananas here. Uh, and probably squeezing upwards of 15%. Uh, this this would be suited kings, suited queens. This would be pocket eights, pocket nines. This would be offsuit broadways uh, and just going absolutely ballistic. But being as the regulars under the gun, I think we have to be a little bit more disciplined and probably it's probably going to be really natural hands like 10 jack suited. That's probably going to be about the bottom. Yeah, so strictly value heavy range uh when three betting here because like you said we're facing a tight formation and the button you know the button's the sheriff they're not going to be folding to any squeezes so we are looking for hands that we're pushing equity against the button 
I will say that like the under the gun, yeah. Although although three X uh, anywhere from like two to three X is somewhat standard race sizing in cash games. I do feel that there's an opportunity for some of the regs to exploit the guys that are playing, you know, 62 slash five or 56 slash 18 by opening larger preflop with their more premium hands, because not much difference in 15 or even 25 to the whale, but it makes a large difference in the overall size of the pot as bets start going in every single street. So I think that that's a sort of a natural exploit that maybe the listener ought to be considering before opening under the gun. Also on that note, it, it's something that I, I wrestle with in, in live poker is, is sizing up in these spots because I'm kind of torn between two dilemmas. And the two dilemmas are, I want to play a lot of pots with the whale or, or recreational player. And if I start opening a large size and uh, a good professional's behind me and I open too many hands, uh, it opens a giant window for them to three bet me constantly and i'm just going to lose a lot of money in in that situation um so you do have to be careful with how frequently you do it but if you if you open want to open a tighter range it seems to make sense uh to play bigger pots with the whale yeah it's it's kind of annoying for the regs to take advantage of you because they know what you're doing and they also know that going to be opening a somewhat tight range so they don't want to mess with you and and by mess with you i mean they don't want to three bet you to a larger sizing than they're comfortable with just because we're opening larger ourselves. Plus they know that like if the whale on the button calls a five X open, they're probably not folding when they three bet to like 25 big blinds or whatever three bet sizing they ultimately choose. But um, as played though, we have an under the gun open to $15 button calls, small blind calls, and you call in the big blind with the king of diamonds, eight of diamonds, the whale, as mentioned previously, has everybody covered by infinity, and you ha- are sitting on a stack of six hundred fifty-five dollars, which is uh, about a hundred and thirty big blinds, hundred twenty-five big blinds. Yes. Now we see a flop. There's sixty dollars in the middle. The flop is the ten of diamonds, the nine of diamonds, and the four of spades, and the action goes check check to the under the gun opener who checks and now the button bets $57. So close to pot, the small blind folds and now the action is on you. Tell me what you make of this sizing in this bet. I pretty much hate the spot. Um, We have a a whale who's been at least passive pre-flop. I I don't know whether he was passive post-flop at this point in time uh, using a really big bet size. That being said, I think our hand is strong enough to go ahead and call given the implied odds. If we do make our flush, this doesn't seem like the opponent who's going to fold an over pair or two pair or top pair or anything. So I do think the implied odds are there to go ahead and and call. I don't like raising uh, and potentially just getting jammed on, which I think is reasonably likely. And folding just feels too weak at this point. Yeah, with this pot size bet, we probably don't want to be raising with our king high flush draw versus the whale. We want to call, get a little deeper in the decision tree, and give us the opportunity to allow this guy to make some pretty sizable mistakes, even though they are in position. Any thought about the under the gun opener here before choosing to call? Uh, yeah, I think that he's really incentivized to bet off 
uh, really strong value on the flop with the whale in the pot. Uh, the whale's going to call super frequently. Uh, I mean, might check a decent amount when checked to him. So I'm not super concerned that uh, under the gun has a particularly strong hand. Yeah, I think they're pretty much always folding here. They're highly incentivized to bet. We can't count on, you know, they, they can't count on the passive whale to bet if they check to them. So the flop has a high likelihood of going check, 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 check when they do check. And that would be not a good spot if you have like jacks or queens or kings or really even aces or some kind of 10x, even pocket nines, pocket fours or pocket tens, all incentivized to bet. So, oh, also, the, I guess the, the top pairs. So jack 10, queen 10, king 10, and ace 10 are also incentivized to bet here. So when they check, not really concerned about them doing anything other than folding here. Okay, we go to a turn. There is one sec here. We we call the flop, and the under-the-gun player, as anticipated, does fold. Okay, and we go to the turn. There is $174 in the pot. The board is now 10 of diamonds, 9 of diamonds, 4 of spades, and 6 of diamonds. So we got there with our flush draw, and we are faced with a decision of whether to check or go ahead and lead. And what's going through my mind here is that if the opponent has a hand like ace 10 or pocket aces or pocket jacks or queen 10 or or what have you they're very likely to just go ahead and check back this turn and that's kind of a disaster for our hand that can go ahead and try to play for stacks so i opt to go ahead and lead 140 dollars into a 174 dollar pot and my sizing here is intentionally quite large just trying to get maximum value from the recreational player. Yeah, and you're setting up about a pot size shove on the river here. So I really like the sizing. SPR is around three. So we absolutely need a turn bet to go in so that we can play for stacks. You know, you mentioned all of the top pair type hands that the villain might check back, but even a hand as strong as top two pair might check back on this flush completing turn. So we just really have to lead out here and choose the large sizing so that we can maximize value and try to play for stacks. In the plan here is going to be to uh, jam almost every river. It's set for a uh, diamond that's not the ace of diamonds. And then uh, we'll have to figure something else out. But even even a nine or a 10, I'm probably just planning on going all in on the river. So you bet 140, the villain calls, and now there's 454 in the pot. As mentioned before, you have $458, so pretty much a pot-sized rip. And we get the beautiful deuce of diamonds now on the river. So we have a four of spades, nine, ten, six deuce of diamonds. So four to a flush, not the card you were looking for, I have to imagine. What's going through your mind on this river? Uh, I'm, I'm hating it. Uh, if he has a hand like nine ten or pocket aces or pocket jacks, it's much more difficult to get paid. Um, I don't expect him to have the ace of diamonds all that often, but it is something he will show up with occasionally here. So I, I opt to go ahead and bet a small size. I opt to bet $140 into $454. And my, my reasoning is that I'm trying to get a queen of diamonds, a jack of diamonds, a eight of diamonds, two pair or top pair to go ahead and call. And none of those hands are super happy calling just a, an outright jam here. So my intent is to bet small and try to get value from those hands. 
Yeah, and I think that's a reasonable plan. I think that jamming really hard for the Queen of Diamonds to call a jam even versus a recreational player. So it's hard to get called by worse when we jam on this four flush board with our king high flush. When we size down, we're really targeting the sets, the two pair type hands, maybe like a jack 10 with the jack of diamonds or queen 10 with the queen of diamonds. And so you bet 140, leaving yourself with 318 behind. What happens next? The recreational player uh, decides to jam all in. Yeah, he summoned a lightning bolt and directed it right at your face. He rips for all the gold. Now, what are you thinking? Well, we're sitting here with the second nuts, but the way the hand has played out, it doesn't look like we are going to be folding with how much, how little money is left behind relative to the pot. That being said, I don't expect the opponent to ever be bluffing here. Um, I just expect them to always have the nuts. Uh, It's just really infrequent that uh, a recreational player raises the river as a bluff uh, and specifically raises a four flush board as as a bluff. It just doesn't happen very often. So I opt to make the fold. So you're getting 3.3 to one. So need 23% equity to call here, which means Billy needs to show up with a bluff more than 23% of the time. And I think that your analysis of the hand is pretty on point. I think villain's going to show up with a bluff here about 0.1% of the time. So regardless of the great price that you're getting to call the river here, this type of opponent just not going to be raising often enough to merit a call with the king high flush. Are there any types of opponents that you would call in this spot facing a rip with getting 3.3 to 1? It's tricky. I, I might find a call versus a really strong regular, but I I don't actually know whether it's going to be uh, profitable um, in that case. But I, I want to go back to something you you mentioned of how you, you think that the recreational player is going to show up with a bluff maybe 0.1% of the time. Prior to the, the podcast, we were talking about some mass data analysis. And do you want to share some of those findings? Yeah, I, I just looked at this spot specifically where recreational players facing some c-bets and this specific spot out of the 10 million hands that i use for mass data this spot was bluffed by recreational players approximately one time in 10 million hands and funnily enough the one time that the rec decided to bluff on this river they got snapped off by like the fourth not flush. So <laughs> even when they did bluff, they still got called by what is relatively weak hand. So these kind of players just don't bluff these four flush boards um, because they just have a lot of hands that call like top pair, top two pair and smaller flushes. It's hard for them to find natural bluffs here. As a matter of fact, I, I can't really imagine any natural bluffs that our opponent can have on this river which makes a lot of sense and makes your fold kind of, you know, a slam dunk decision. It's kind of funny. I think spots like this show the largest weakness with game theory optimal uh, strategies, because I would be quite surprised if from a GTO perspective that we're supposed to fold here because we block the straight flush. We've got the second nuts, a uh, pretty good hand other than a seven, ace eight of diamonds or, or anything that's, the actual nuts uh, to go ahead and call. But in reality, I think that you're just punting away $300 plus here. 
out of the $320 remaining. I agree. And you know, the fact that you use the small sizing is an exploit in and of itself. I don't know that you choose that sizing when you do have the nut flush, you may size up uh, larger. So even that, you know, your small sizing is a river exploit, but it doesn't matter that you're exploitable here because opponents just are not going to find, they're not going to find the bluffs that they need in order to exploit our folding of the second nut. So well done, sir. It's a good fold, great exploitable play. So the results uh, on ignition, you can look up what the opponent had and they had the ace of diamonds, 10 of spades for the flop top pair top kicker, turn nut flush draw and rivered nut flush. Yeah, which is, you know, that hand, ma- hand makes a lot of sense. If we go back to the story, they bet close to pot four ways on the flop. They called our turn bet because they had top pair with the nut flush draw backup and then river the nut flush and jammed. So that hand makes a ton of sense. And coming up right after this break, we're going to go through a similar hand that I played in this same pool where we're playing against a recreational whale and we have a ton of depth. So stay tuned. Don't miss hand number two. Before boot camp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site, kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And pre-flop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what Rangers should look like and what hands should be played in what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that, that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post boot camp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to, to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re- really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have 70,000 hands played by now. You know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. The price is $199 and your link to join is ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. All 
All right. Welcome back to this episode of Tactical Tuesday with Coach Brad and Coach Thomas. Thomas, why don't you set this hand up for the listener? Okay, so we are sitting under the gun with Jack Nine of Diamonds, and we are we have we are thirteen hundred dollars effective with the uh, villain in this hand, who I believe is a recreational as well. Um, Brad's stats are a little bit misaligned in his poker tracker, but uh, I believe this this villain is playing about fifty percent of hands and not really raising. Correct. Very very passive villain who's spun up a stack of thirteen hundred dollars. It's kind of a dream spot to, to start with, just being that deep with recreational players, just because they end up making absolute punts super deep. They tend to value top pair, top kicker, and over pairs the exact same way they do when they're 100 big blinds effective. And I, I found in live poker, especially when you get really deep with recreational players, you don't want to leave the table for any reason. They're going to punt away the entire stack if you give them an opportunity. Yeah, I would imagine that the highest hourly rates you can gain stem from these type of situations where recreational player just spins up a three or 400 big blind stack and then just gives it away in one fell swoop. Those are the times where regardless of whether you're winning, whether you're losing, you just want to put in hours. So the action, I open 3x from under the gun with the jack of diamonds, nine of diamonds, the player on my direct left flats, and then we have our whale who three bets us to a massive $25. So they three bet us the minimum, which again, versus a passive whale is kind of the dream, right? They three bet us minimum, they give away the strength of their hand and only charge us 10 extra dollars to call and see a flop with all this depth, knowing that if we are able to make something, have a lot of opportunity here to win some moolah. So I decide to flat this min three bet. The player on my left, of course, flats as well. Let's go back for a second, Brad. Yeah, go ahead. Let's go back to the the recreational player, uh, min three bets you, and let's say you have pocket jacks or pocket queens here. Uh, what are you looking to do? Pocket jacks or pocket queens is tricky. I would probably four bet queens and lean towards flatting jacks. I, I'm not exactly sure what this min three bet means other than it's likely a strong hand, but I think queens, there's still room to get some value out of villain. Jacks is more kind of on the fence and would be inclined to flat and then make some post-flop decisions based on some extra data points that we gain after the flop. It's really tricky when you when you face the sizing, just determining how strong it is from, from the opponent. Um, for the most part, I think that it is usually strong. Uh, maybe something like uh, jacks plus and ace queen plus. But it, it's really tricky to say for sure if we don't have a lot of data on the opponent. One thing that's nice with the price they're giving us, though, is that we can call with every single hand that we would open uh so i i would never be looking to fold the spot and i'm kind of on the fence with with even queens as to whether i would go ahead and, and four bet here i think that you're going to get yourself in some really dicey spots when you do opt to four bet that hand here versus the passive whale who's 
min three betting you. So I, I might choose to just flat it, but that also could just be my natural risk aversion creeping in. Let me try to convince you here because I think it's important to talk about if we did four bet here and I would four bet pretty large in this spot, probably to one Oh five or so from 25. So four X out of position. I would say that if our opponent does in fact have value that they're clicking back with here, they're probably not going to do a great job of disguising that value versus the four bet. So if they do five bet it either a, they go super large, in which case I'm just going to be folding the Queens or B, they go super small and we get a great price just like this exact spot that we're in right now and we can flat and then make some post-flop decisions. So in both situations where villain five bets large, we can just fold our queens pretty confidently. If villain five bets small, we still have direct odds to effectively set mine with our queens as well. So I get what you're saying. I really hate losing the opportunity to push equity in this spot and the guy in the middle the guy in the middle makes me lean towards four betting Queens a lot more because I don't want him to just hop in there getting a great price to set mine or flop a straight or whatever it is that they're trying to do. Sure. That's one of the big benefits of, of choosing to go ahead and four bet here is just forcing out the player in the middle who's never going to be able to continue. Uh, I, I like your point on the five bets. I think that if they have aces or kings uh, and play it aggressively pre-flop and choose to five bet, we're actually probably going to lose less money than if we flat and get a low board and just have a really dicey situation um, when they triple off on us. So yeah, I I think that's, that's reasonable actually. Oh, so I convinced you of four betting with Queens. Yeah, I'm on board. Listener, just know that this is one of the first times in the last month I've convinced Thomas of anything. So this is a pretty, pretty big moment for me. As a human being, I just want to sit back and reflect and bask in the glory of convincing Thomas to my thought process. I'm certainly too stubborn for my own good. (laughs) (laughs) So with all of this hypothetical said, we don't have queens. We have a jack and a nine of diamonds. We decide to call the player on our left, clearly getting seven to one with an opportunity to get involved is going to be calling as well. So we take a flop three ways and we see a flop of king of diamonds four of diamonds tray of clubs there's 82 dollars and 50 cents in the pot i don't really see much benefit into leading out with our jack high flush draw uh if if it checks around i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because then we can stab at a lot of turns and realize a bunch of fold equity so not much can go wrong in my opinion as it relates to checking to the recreational player Thomas, you have any thoughts on that? No, it feels very natural. I, I don't want to lead out and let a hand like ace-king, aces, or kings go ahead and raise and just potentially force us to fold our equity in the pot. Cool. So we check, and player on our left checks, and now the rec decides to bet $103.50, which is an overbet sizing. Now what are your thoughts here, Thomas? Feels really gross. Uh, kind of like the the last hand where the the recreational player went ahead and potted it. This one chooses to overbet, and I would expect that this is extremely value heavy. And if they were to be bluffing, um, I do think there are some flush draws that could take this sizing. But I think the ace high flush draws are are a little bit less likely than some of the like five six of diamonds or six seven of diamonds type hands. 
So I, I think for the most part, our, our outs are clean. And with how deep we are, I would be looking to call. But if we don't improve on the turn versus the big bet, I'm probably going to be check folding. Yeah, it's it's clearly dicey. And the fact that they chose an overbet sizing, like we talked about in the last episode of Tactical Tuesday, tells me that they probably are using multiple sizings on this board. And when they use this sizing, I'm pretty confident in discerning that this is going to be almost a pure value sizing. They're not really messing around here with some of their like ace jack of clubs, right? The hands that just whiff the flop. I would say this is more pure value of aces, ace king, maybe some kings. And that's pretty much it. So with that said, facing a range that I'm discerning as pure value, we call out of position and the player on our left, thankfully folds would feel really bad if they ripped it in here. Um, We would have to fold versus a rip, but they do oblige and fold. And the turn is the queen of diamonds. So the board now is king of diamonds, four of diamonds, tray of clubs, queen of diamonds. There's $289 in the pot. So we turn the second nut flush. What do you make of this situation, Thomas? I immediately look at my opponent's stack and start counting my money. <laughs> um, and, and here there's still $1,100 effective. So what, what I'm thinking is how can I get all of it? And I'm looking to pick a size that gives me an opportunity to do that. So if we were to just go ahead and lead for 250 here, uh, the pot's going to be about 800 on the river. And we're still going to have just a little bit over a pot size shove on the river, which is, is probably about the best we can hope to achieve here. But maybe we can get away with even just leading for 300 here. But I, I'm absolutely looking to lead. Uh, not looking to uh, check it and let him check back with a hand like Ace-King. And uh, so I, I would probably lead for 250 to 300 bucks here. Most people don't know this, but here's a fun fact about Thomas. In the movie A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge's nickname is actually Thomas. They don't explicitly <laughs> say that out loud, but that is what Ebenezer Scrooge's friends call him. Uh, Thomas, you're greedy. I love it. I'm also greedy. And... We're on the same wavelength here. So in the spirit of your first hand, I actually decide to lead a little smaller than your suggestion of 250 to 300. I, I led 211. In hindsight, I agree with you. I do believe that could have gone to 250, even full pot here, I think. And villain's probably not folding much. One way I go about figuring out my sizing here is given the player type, I, I think through every kind of hand they can show up with here and on and whether they'll call different size bets. So I think if you bet 211, ace-king's always going to continue, king-queen's always going to continue, king-jack's always going to continue, flushes and aces are always going to continue. So that's great. Um, but I think if we bet 300, all of those hands are also going to continue versus a player that plays 50% of hands. So I, I see no reason why we can't just go for more. Correct. And hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, I guess in the moment I was probably thinking of like a hand like Ace of Hearts, King of Clubs, where there's a flush completing turn. I guess in the moment I, I wasn't sure if his Ace-King combos without a backup flush draw are going to call. So size down a little bit to target those. But all in all, I, I agree with your assessment that bigger is better here. 
it's a lot easier to play hands after the fact too than in the moment. So I, I don't fault you for your size. I think the most important thing here is is finding the lead on the turn. Yeah, it's much easier to play a hand when you have infinite amount of time to think about it and you're not facing any pressure of anything going on. But um, so we lead 211 and our villain calls. So now stack size is 936 heading into the river. The pot is $711. So have a little bit larger than a shove left. The river is the tray of hearts. So it pairs the board. The final board is now king of diamonds, four of diamonds, tray of clubs, queen of diamonds, tray of hearts. Now with an SPR a little bit greater than one, what are you thinking here, Thomas? I'm still looking to make some money. Uh, The vast majority of the time, I still expect to be ahead. Uh, When I do lose now, I expect to mostly lose to a hand like pocket kings. But I think ace-king, pocket aces, king-queen can all call a a decent-sized bet. So I would probably be looking to take the approach of bet-folding the river, and I would probably pick three to four hundred dollars as my size to do that, and then just fold if they jam with the assumption that they're basically never bluffing here uh, when they do go all in. Uh, so I, I would feel quite good about folding if if I bet here and they jammed. And another thing to consider is like maybe villain does have some flush draws on the flop, right? Like maybe they do have a five, six of diamonds or seven, eight of diamonds, those type of hands. I guess they are possible if villains men clicking it um, that they just choose a random suited hand. So it's possible they have flushes. They obviously have ace king. They have some king queen and they have aces in their range. So I'm with you need to go ahead, try to get some value here. We're dialing back our greedo meter just a little bit so that uh, we have some wiggle room here in case villain raises. I opted to lead $323 into 7-Eleven, and I have 613 behind. So, Thomas, happy with my sizing here? Between three and 400, did I, did I make you proud? It, it looks great to me. Perfect. Our opponent rips it for $960. So we have 613 to call. We're getting 3.21 to 1. So we need to win this hand 24% of the time facing this rip. What say you, Coach Thomas? I, I think you, you turn your, your hand face up and toss it in the muck and see if it sets your opponent on tilt. Yeah, I don't think there's much to do here. Like we said, this river likely to be underbluffed by this player archetype and full houses are a portion of their range. I don't think they'd be raising here with like the 10 high flush. So if they have eight, 10 of diamonds, right? I think something to bear in mind when facing these river raises is like, what's the best hand that I beat. Um, and with the Jack high flush here, the best hand we beat is like the, like I said, the 10, eight of diamonds, I don't think that hand is going to be raising the river. They may actually raise the turn when they make their flush. So nothing really to do here other than chunk our cards in the muck and try to fade a board pairing card next time. I think this hand also demonstrates, or both hands really demonstrates, what I would view as probably the most profitable uh, line in in low live stakes poker, and that's simply just bet fold for value. Uh, players don't raise the turn of the river enough as a bluff. And if they raise you and you don't have the nuts, it's probably time to go ahead and fold. Um, it, it gets really expensive really quick if you 
uh, talk yourself into calling with the jack high flush here uh, when they just don't have any bluffs. Yeah, this specific archetype of a whale, like you said, they just don't raise rivers often enough with bluffs. So the way we exploit that is by folding, you know, massively over folding versus these river rips. And yeah, that's all I got. That's my hand. Thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of Tactical Tuesday. Thomas and I will catch you next week with a brand new episode. Anything you want to add before we go off air, Thomas? Just that next week we're going to be covering uh, some high stakes hands that Brad played from live poker in Los Angeles, uh, where he's playing probably 10, 20 or larger. So there should be some exciting stuff for you guys. I'm going to have to dive deep into my memory banks to pull these hands out. So I'm excited to talk about them, though. That was a fun time in my life and had some great experiences. So can't wait for next week.